Hi, I'm Cheryl. And I'm Olivia. And we're going to have a sleepover. Okay, so we're literally about to go watch Suicide Squad. Olivia, after the debacle that was Batman v Superman, how are you feeling? Look, I was feeling pretty excited after the trailer that came out during Comic-Con, but the reviews that have been coming out since the movie actually opened not looking good. I was specifically avoiding any kind of reviews or spoilers because I'm like, I'm going to go in because I didn't go in unbiased on Batman v Superman. I knew that was going to be awful. So I was like, I'm going to go in, I'm going to be unbiased and you know, maybe it'll be an amazing movie except, yeah, there's been no hiding how bad the reviews have been. (laughs) So I guess we'll see how it goes. Fingers crossed, people. Okay, so we've just seen Suicide Squad, and I'd say it was a hot mess of a movie. Yeah, that's a good good description. Look, I didn't hate it. But I didn't love it? Yeah. It's not that I wouldn't say don't see it. Like, with Batman vs Superman, I'd say you don't miss anything by not seeing it. With Suicide Squad, yeah, you can probably watch it, but don't pay a lot of money for it. It's kind of a fun romp, you know? Uh, it's a good-looking movie, like most things. Pretty sexist. Mm. Hates people of colour. I was entertained. We're going to start with a brief summary of the movie, just to make sure that everyone can follow along if you're not going to see the movie. If you do plan to see it, though, we will be spoiling it, and also probably Batman vs Superman, so any anything in the DCU is fair game. Suicide Squad, a tale of two movies. It was the best of times, except Superman's dead, so it's probably the worst of times. Suicide Squad opens with Amanda Waller, the antagonist of movie one, which is the fun, wacky movie. She's apparently an agent of an unspecified but probably top secret government agency and is planning to solve potential disasters by forming a squad of the worst prisoners, comprised of Will Smith, ostensibly the world's deadliest sniper deadshot, Harley Quinn, a former psychologist turned Joker's girlfriend and accomplice, and El Diablo, a Hispanic gangbanger with literal firepower. There's also Captain Boomerang, Australian thief, and half-man, half-crocodile Killer Croc. They're fun, but they're not plot essential. Leading the team is Army Whitebread. Not his name, but he was so boring that I don't care. Whom Walla is coercing by holding captive the heart of Enchantress, a primitive mystic spirit who is possessing his girlfriend. Now, over in movie two, the dramatic, serious business movie, Enchantress slips Walla's leash, frees the spirit of her brother, and declares an intention to create a machine to destroy the world, establishing herself as the villain of movie two. Back to movie one. The squad gets sent on a rescue mission in a ruined city, overrun with mutated human monsters created by Enchantress. Their compliance is assured by implanted bombs in their necks. The efficacy of this is proven when Slipknot, here portrayed by a Native American actor, is introduced to the movie only to be immediately blown up. Also nearly added to the squad is an agent of Walla, Katana, an aggressively Japanese woman who, for some reason, is working for the American government. She also has a sword containing the soul of her dead husband, which doesn't really get explored. The team fight through the city and rescue Walla, only for her to immediately get captured by the monsters. The Joker also briefly shows up to rescue Harley, only to seemingly die in a helicopter crash. At this point, everyone realises that Enchantress, over in movie 2, might be something they need to deal with. However, since it seems she's been doing her own thing for three days, they figure it'll keep until after a drinking session of bonding and backstory. Once we're all caught up to speed on everyone's stories, they finally head off to stop Enchantress, and she activates her machine, 
It's not really explained what the machine is for, but apparently some buildings get blown up and I think some people die. El Diablo sacrifices himself to stop Enchantress's brother, and Harley Quinn chooses the squad over the possibility of seeing the Joker again. Army Whitebread makes the sacrifice of crushing Enchantress's heart, despite thinking it'll kill his girlfriend, but surprise! Unlike all of the dead people of colour in this movie, White Girl is fine. We then get shunted back over to movie one, when Wallace shows up to take the squad back to prison. The movie ends with the Joker breaking into jail to reunite with Harley. To be continued? What do you think? Did I leave anything out? Mm, oh, I don't think so. I think that summarises most of it. Yeah. So, um, based on that summary, you might have noticed that things happened? A lot of things <laughs> happened. Things sure did occur things in the occurred. movie. Possibly not in... The the best sequence for it to occur. I feel like pacing was a real issue with this movie. How do you mean? I mean, okay, so when I say that Enchantress sort of sets up a series of events, it's like, it's kind of like a whole thing. It's like immediately after the introduction that happens and it's, it couldn't have implied it's going to be a really, really big thing. And then it's left hanging for a while while we go through some squad hijinks and the squad learning to trust each other. And then they're doing some killing and stuff and no one's telling anyone anything. And then it's kind of like, oh, yeah, by the way, there's like this magic chick. She's going to destroy the world. We should maybe do something about that. Yeah, I, I think they had the problem whereby they're trying to create this movie universe but they haven't actually ever introduced any of these characters before and rather than assuming that we all know them which is for the best because no one knows anyone but Harley they've tried to introduce their characters throughout the movie and because of that like you say the pacing is very off it can be done for a character's backstory to be introduced through a movie I've seen it done very effectively it's kind of impossible to not draw a comparison to Marvel Mm. I think at this point and I guess their equivalent movie for Marvel would be Guardians of the Galaxy which was a movie that had quite good pacing and had a similar setup criminals who don't mm. know each other kind of shoved together to save the world that's actually a really interesting comparison because I've been comparing it to Avengers this whole time and so in my mind the reason that that worked so well is because you knew those characters and they were sort of thrown into this bizarre situation but now that I think about it yeah Guardians of the Galaxy is a much more apt description what possibly worked with Guardians of the Galaxy was like these are the characters at this point in time we'll tell you a bit of the backstory where it's relevant to the plot but otherwise we'll forge ahead Whereas this movie has what feels like a thousand flashbacks and the way they're done it kind of feels like the movie comes to a halt every time there's another flashback yeah that's quite true and uh, they were kind of obliged to do that i think because there would have been outrage from fans if they mm. didn't delve into the stories because that's kind of the one thing that dc does well is that they create these very dramatic backstories for all of their characters. So I feel like you came out of that movie a lot happier with the movie than I did because we bought tickets at the last minute so the only place we could sit was literally the front row and I basically came out of the movie with a sore neck. But you came out actually kind of smiling a bit so I feel like you enjoyed it. I wouldn't say I enjoyed it. No, okay, I, I will go so far as to say I enjoyed it. Basically, I didn't hate the movie and I went into the movie expecting to hate it. I loved the comics and I care a great deal about the DC universe. So when I'd seen the trailers, I was very concerned about what they were going to do in the movie. And like I said, I didn't hate it. So <laughs> by comparison to expecting to come out fuming and not, I guess you could say I enjoyed it. Yeah, because of that, 
I think I should do the five things today because you came out of the movie with a sore neck and I came out of the movie with a partial smile. Okay, so what are your five things going to be about? I'm going to talk about five things that I actually enjoyed about the movie. That's such a, it's like five things I actually enjoyed. <laughs> It's a pretty bare minimum, but um, as we've already kind of touched on, our standards for this film were not particularly high. It was better than we expected. And the main reason for that, I think, is Amanda Waller. She a badass. Amanda Waller was so badass. My first introduction to Amanda Waller was the Young Justice cartoon. So she's only in one episode, but she's playing the warden of Belle Rev. And she comes in and she's introducing herself to the new inmates and it's just like, I am not your mother. I am not your maiden aunt. I am your warden. And <laughs> I guess that impression of that character has always kind of stuck with me. Yeah, I mean, my first introduction to Amanda Waller was in the Suicide Squad comics themselves. And I just thought it was really cool to see that character actually done justice on screen. Now, I think that might be a controversial opinion, but I think Viola Davis nailed it. Why would it be a controversial opinion? She was amazing. Well, people just don't like this movie at all. <laughs> I Fair feel enough. like they just would dismiss it outright. I guess this whole five things is about salvaging yeah. some nice things yeah. from the film. It really wasn't as bad as I was kind of dreading based on all of the headlines and all the reviews. Okay, so Amanda Waller is your first thing. Yes. And the second thing is that I actually laughed. There were moments in that film where I thought the jokes were funny or the setup was funny or someone did something interesting with the character. I mean, you were laughing, right? I only remember laughing once. I, I, I might have laughed more, but the one point where I laughed quite a bit was a pun that Harley made. I mentioned in the summary that Slipknot gets introduced very briefly only to die and he gets blown up while he's kind of hanging. And I think Harley says something like, well, that was an explosive act. Oh. Yeah, like I know that? the I know the scene you're talking about. Someone does say some offhand. Yeah, it's pun. it's a very morbid pun, and for some reason that was really it was Harley, and it was really funny. Yeah, and I mean that's all the humor in Suicide Squad is very much that very dark comedy, which kind of why I liked the comics so much. The thing that I found with the comedy, and I think this is why I kind of think that Suicide Squad felt like they were two different movies that had been mashed together, was that I wasn't sure whether this was a comedy that was meant to have a dramatic part, whether it was meant to be a drama that had some rompy hijinks, because it didn't have enough of one mm. to inform the genre, mm. and it kind of felt like two movies were mashed together. Yeah, and I mean, this is probably bordering on conspiracy theory, but I very much feel as though they took a different direction with this movie after Deadpool came out and smashed it at the box office because you're right the the movie does seem disjointed in a way because when you think about it Batman vs Superman sorry V Superman <laughs> Batman v Superman was dark and gritty and serious and boring and so boring <laughs> my brother just saw the movie on a plane and he was just like it was really boring like People told me it was going to be bad, and I guess it was bad, but more than anything, I was bored. <laughs> you go from Batman vs Superman to Suicide Squad, which, if you've read the comics, there is that nuance between drama and zaniness. But because there's so much more material, you can establish that sort of dual genre, I suppose. Yeah. I think partially the reason I laughed so much was out of relief, because I wasn't hating the movie as much as I thought it was going to be. And... Part of the relief was, and I can't believe I'm about to say this, I actually liked Leto's Joker. Is that your third thing? Yes. Wow, okay. That's 
Out of everything that we've said today, that's probably the most controversial, I would think, because his character design is objectively ridiculous. <laughs> it's so tacky. And he's ridiculous. But, and I'm going to overshare with everyone today, I have a long, long love of the Joker. And when I say love, I mean love. Like, I was a seven-year-old walking around the playground pretending that the Joker was my boyfriend. I love the Joker and well Heath Ledger's Joker is objectively better acted, better designed, better directed. Leto's Joker was hot and he told a joke. <laughs> okay let's do the whole thing because we've done this before. <laughs> so Olivia did you like Heath Ledger's Joker? I liked the character that Heath Ledger played in The Dark Knight. But was he the Joker? No. Why wasn't he the Joker? Because he didn't tell a joke. The Joker's whole thing is that he's into jokes. The Joker is motivated by shit he finds funny. Did Heath Ledger tell a joke in The Dark Knight? I don't think so, no. No, not once. Therefore, not the Joker. He was quite a pretty cool villain, but he wasn't the Joker. In regards to Leto's Joker, it was a lot closer to the Joker that I'm familiar with from the animated series, my biggest point of contact with Batman. I wouldn't say that he was quite as, I don't know, like he didn't seem to be as chaotic as the animated series' Joker, or as cheerful, but yeah, I would say that his portrayal was closer to what I know of the Joker than Heath Ledger. Yeah, well, I mean, the animated series Joker is, for reasons of viewership, he's not as violent and as messed up as he is in the comics. And I mean, the killing joke has just come out, so I feel like the Joker is very much transformed in yeah. the main populace's mind. But, like, even in the killing joke, which I saw with Olivia, he's very amiable. And I think Leto's Joker was closer to that affable, chaotic murderer than Heath Ledger's. Yeah, he enjoys killing. He kills for fun and he kills because he thinks it's funny. And yeah, he managed to portray that. Like I said, his character design was awfully tacky. Like I was thinking scene, about it, actually. Yeah. If that same Joker design had turned up in one of the Marvel movies, I probably wouldn't have blinked too much because Marvel have kind of embraced how ridiculous superhero costumes are. Like, they have a man running around in an American flag. Whereas with DC, they've toned down both Superman and Wonder Woman, who are arguably two of the most iconic superhero mm -hmm. costumes in comic book history. So the fact that they've kind of, like, now shoved this character in, basically something that looks out of a comic book, he looks objectively ridiculous. <laughs> Which maybe is the Joker's, because like the Joker's obscene. Uh, yeah, I mean, we did make that awful joke where perhaps the joke is that he looks like a joke, because he does. And I can see what they were going for. I can see that they were trying to portray this gangster in a modern era, because when the Joker's at the height of his criminal... Um... Empire? Yeah, sure, that'll do. Okay. He's very much like... A mob boss, I suppose, in the Gotham underworld. And I think what they were trying to do and what they ended up doing was just appropriating a bunch of black culture. But what they were trying to do was establish him as a modern day criminal mastermind. And they did that by just shoving him in a bunch of bling and giving him a whole bunch of ridiculous tattoos and hoping for the best. We say this as tattooed people. <laughs> Look, our tattoos are nice and we don't have damaged tattoos to our heads. <laughs> That's fair. I think one thing that interested me in regards to this portrayal of the Joker was 
the relationship between Harley and the Joker. In comparison to... I guess the animated series, because that's the most familiar I am with their relationship. But also because I've heard... I haven't read the Suicide Squad or the New 52 Harley comics. Mm. But from what I understand, in the last couple of years, Harley's been moving away from the Joker, and it sort of started with the Suicide Squad. When she joined the Suicide Squad, she kind of realised that it was an abusive relationship, and she said, get away from him and Mm. do her own thing. It's interesting that they've chosen to tie Harley and the Joker kind of back together, rather than them being pushed apart. Yeah, the movie version strips Harley of a lot of agency, I feel. They very much seem to me like an emo couple from 2004. They were dressed head to toe in Hot Topic and they were saying raw to each other. Okay, so is that everything you want to say about Lido's Joker? Yeah, I think I'm done. I think that most people are not going to want to speak to me after having admitted that I liked that Joker, but you know. I think most people who know you already know that, oh right, that particular Joker. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People can forgive the love of the Joker. People cannot forgive the love of Leto's Joker. (laughs) (laughs) Alright, so let's move on. Okay, so what was the fourth nice thing? I thought the movie looked pretty good. Yeah? Like, I have some very specific criticisms, namely Mm -hmm. the tacky soundtrack, the strange Scott Pilgrim-esque character introductions. I actually like those character introductions. They felt like a comic book. Really? Well, it felt like what they would do in a comic book. Here's this character. Here's, you know, some stuff that they did. Yeah, I just felt like it didn't fit with the tone of the movie. And I mean, we've talked about this already. You, you, this is, okay, so had this been a zany romp movie, that would have been fine. Yeah. It did not suit the dramatic movie that it turned into. So yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so yeah, I get your point in the character introductions. Also, there are a lot of nasty booty shots sort of tracking from the bottom to the top. You know, there's a whole thing in comic books where women are kind of drawn in very objective ways with butts and boobs. So far in the comic book movies that I've seen, they haven't done that so much. This is the first movie where it was kind of like a comic book where someone was being specifically objectified. It was very cheesecake. And I mean, it's hard to look at Margot Robbie and not want to see her cheesecake because she's gorgeous. But at the same time, weren't you saying like it got to the point where you... No, I was saying this. I can't remember which which of us has ideas anymore. Um, We have one brain. (laughs) I got to the point where I was avoiding looking at Margot Robbie's butt. And I can't believe I just uttered those words. Like, it's Margot Robbie's butt. But I didn't want to look at it anymore because I'd seen it for maybe 70% of the movie. But those specific criticisms aside... I think they did a, a quite a good establishment of environment. The mm-hmm. camera work was good. And I especially liked the departure from the lighting of Batman v, v Superman. Yeah, you could actually see things that were happening in this movie. It's pretty cool, hey? Yeah, because that was like that was my specific criticism of Batman vs. Superman, which is I had no idea what the fuck was happening at any given moment because no. it was so dark. Yeah. There was a lot of bright colours, which was good. Yeah. Like, and it was set at night and you could see things, which, yeah, I, I agree with you on the lighting. Yeah, exactly. And I think hope that this is a departure that is going to continue because this movie has very much sort of set up the DCU, right? We've had Batman v Superman hinting at the Justice League and Suicide Squad hints at that a bit too, like Batfleck rocks up, Flash rocks up. There's an awesome hidden scene at the end. I'm sort of just going straight into number five, by the way. Number five is the establishment of the DCU. We're just going to rock into that. Okay, well, actually, we might as well bring up the hidden credit scene, which is Batman's trying to find himself some friends. <laughs> <laughs> it's a cool little little scene, and it's obviously a nod to the Marvel Universe, or not really a nod as so much as... Doing the thing they did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but in DC's 
usual way. This is them competing by copying. But I think that's really exciting. It's yeah. kind of like it's kind of like the golden age of comics is coming back, but in the movies. And this is, you know, a movie that's heading towards that. So I found that establishment really exciting. It's kind of like, oh, the two big comic books are starting to fight again. <laughs> Yeah, I would really like to be more excited about how DC's going. I do enjoy, like, I've read more DC comic books than Marvel comic books, so I, I, I really want them to do well. But I feel like they don't really know where they're going. One thing you can say about Marvel is that they kind of know where they want their movies to go, and they've got a consistent vision working towards them. So they might be a bit formulaic, but they're generally entertaining and they're consistent. Whereas the last couple of DC movies that I've seen, Man of Steel was consistent but kind of boring. <laughs> um, Batman versus V. Batman v Superman was inconsistent and boring. (laughs) And Suicide Squad was inconsistent but interesting. So I kind of feel like they need to figure out their shit before they ruin Wonder Woman. (laughs) I desperately want the Wonder Woman movie to be good. I'm so excited for the Wonder Woman movie. And the trailer that came out during Comic-Con looks really cool. Yeah. I think it looks really cool. But you're right. They do need to sort out direction. But it's kind of like what you were saying today in that they don't actually own their own movie studio in the in the way that Marvel does. They, yeah. they have those additional restrictions on them. Yeah. Well, from what I've read as to how the respective studios are being run is that Disney's kind of given Marvel the reins to do their own thing, whereas Warner Brothers is very heavy-handed in DC. So it's more like Marvel movies are being done by the comic guys, but with help from movie people, whereas DC is being done by the movie guys with help from the comic people. And I think that that kind of also leads to an inconsistent tone. They still need to sort their shit out, though. Yeah, they need to sort out their (laughs) shit. But, as we've kind of already mentioned, the Deadpool movie has kind of flipped the script for DC, apparently, because they've realised that dark and gritty is boring and fun and zany is in. It doesn't have to be completely, like, fun and zany. DC comic books don't necessarily tend to lead to that tone. They just need to be consistent, I think, more than anything. Yeah, I mean, you know, you can't have a Batman movie without some emo, but um, other characters in the DC-verse occasionally smile, Yeah, and it's nice that this movie did actually explore that, and I'm hoping that it's going to so the Justice League trailer is out now as well. It did have that grittiness of Man of Steel, which I'm not so into. And I mean, Jason Momoa is a funny dude and Aquaman is a hilarious character. So if they try to go gritty with that, I just don't know how it's going to go. Well, the trailer was actually quite funny. The Flash introduction sequence was funny. That's you can't have a Flash without jokes. That's true. (laughs) Dude can't take anything seriously. He's the Peter Parker of DC. Yeah, you're right. I guess I just I don't feel that they've struck that happy medium yet in terms of drama versus comedy but hopefully they figure it out why what did you think of the trailer i I like the trailer i'm a bit nervous about the part where it's still being directed by Zack snyder but (laughs) so i guess we'll see how it goes then he's hoping they don't mess up wonder woman Mm. since we're at a party why don't we play a game okie dokie let me go first i actually have a question for you okay who would win in a fight out of amanda waller and nick fury and and why okay i'm gonna go with amanda waller because in many respects they're very similar and i'm going solely solely off of the movie versions because i haven't i don't know about about the characters in their respective comic books so solely of the movie versions i would go with amanda wallace from what i've seen of her so far Mm -hmm. because while both of them are willing to play dirty Mm -hmm. and lie if necessary Mm -hmm. i think amanda waller is willing to go further 
in the movie versions of mm-hmm. Nick Fury at no point, even though he's done some very, very questionable things, <laughs> he hasn't executed his own people point blank because they didn't have high enough clearance to know something. And also because in Captain America Winter Soldier, spoilers for that movie, by the way, <laughs> Nick Fury surrendered to Captain America's idealism by nuking S.H.I.E.L.D., to take down Hydra. Mm-hmm. Whereas the Amanda Waller that we were presented with in Suicide Squad, if it, it was a situation where Superman, for example, was asking her to do something like that, mm-hmm. I don't feel that she would have given in to Superman's idealism. So I'm going to say Amanda Waller because I think she will play dirtier. Okay, fair answer. Okay, so I've got a question for you. All right. Let's go with our witches. Who would win in a fight between Scarlet Witch and Enchantress? Ooh. Okay. Again, very similar characters as well. They have... Over-reliance on brothers. Very over-reliant on their brothers, and they're both sort of these very young, tiny, white girls. But I think in Avengers, spoilers for those movies, Scarlet Witch doesn't have a lot of autonomy. She kind of gets acted upon as opposed to acting. And whilst Enchantress, I don't think, was as strong as she could have been, she has a lot of power and she spent most of the movie trying to get her brother to do things for her, which to me was quite discordant. But she did act on her own accord in terms of breaking free from her keeper. And so I think compared to Scarlet Witch, she has a little bit more get up and go. Yeah, like in Civil War, spoiler for that movie, Scarlet Witch only decides to leave the compound when Hawkeye comes to get her. Exactly. She could have spent that whole movie refining her powers and being super upset that her brother died and we see her doing more or less nothing for the whole movie, which frustrated me a lot because I was very excited for Scarlet Witch, but that's another discussion for another time. Like I said before, I don't think Enchantress was as powerful as she was set up to be. I'd agree with that. She was definitely depicted as having a lot more raw power and definitely acting on it a little bit more than Scarlet Witch. So I'm, I'm going to back Enchantress. I think that's about it for Suicide Squad. Is there anything else you want to talk about? We mentioned how hot Margot Robbie is, right? She's so hot. Anyway, yes, we have. Then we're good. Okay. In conclusion, I guess Suicide Squad isn't as bad as the critics are making it out to be, but it's not good. Cinema tickets are too expensive and Ghostbusters is way better. We'll be back probably with Jurassic World next. We were supposed to do it for this podcast, actually, but we got distracted by Suicide Squad. So we're going to take a little detour from the DC train and trash something else for a change. Hooray! If you liked us, please click subscribe on iTunes. You can leave a comment on our Facebook page on facebook.com slash thegirlgangnetwork or visit our website on thegirlgangnetwork.com. So from us both... Bye.